1987, Richard Lee McNair committed a murder and wounded another man in a failed robbery. He is currently serving two life sentences for these crimes, not to mention his successful escapes from prison. McNair managed to escape on three separate occasions from three different institutions, one time using lip balm. No kidding. He then escaped a second time by crawling through a ventilation duct, and in his final escape, he mailed himself out and convinced a police officer that he was merely a jogger. He was featured on America's Most Wanted multiple times, earning him a spot among the top 15 fugitives sought by U.S. Marshals. So let's break down this crazy crime spree of Richard McNair. I'm your host, Michael, and this is Strange and Unexplained. So it's November 17, 1987, was where it all started. Richard McNair committed a burglary in Minot, North Dakota, when he was unexpectedly confronted by two men. Sadly, he ended up murdering one of them, Jerry Thies. Another man was also shot multiple times, but actually survived. The incident took place while McNair, a sergeant stationed in the nearby Minot Air Force Base, was on duty. The police reached out to McNair for questioning, after which he willingly handed over a hidden handgun. As a result, he was given two life sentences for murder and attempted murder, as well as a 30-year prison term for the burglary. Not long after his initial arrest in February of 1988 at the Minot Municipal Police Station, McNair made his first escape attempt. Although it was a success, it only lasted a few hours before he was arrested once again. Now, following his arrest, McNair was handcuffed to a chair and left alone in a room with three detectives. However, while they were out of the room, he was resourceful, or desperate enough, to use lip balm that he had in his pocket as lubricant, allowing him to slip free from the handcuffs. McNair then escaped the station and led the police on a foot chase through the town, eventually trying to escape capture by running up a three-flight stairway. Never go up, man. Never go up. Unfortunately for him, the authorities surrounded him on the rooftop of a three-story building in downtown, so he gave up. Nope. He actually attempted to get away by jumping onto a tree branch. But unfortunately, the tree branch broke, causing McNair to hurt his back while slamming to the ground. He was then quickly and easily apprehended, as you could imagine. Once McNair received medical treatment, he was transferred to the Ward County Jail in Minot. However, in February of 1988, deputies discovered another escaped attempt when they found that two cinder blocks in his cell had been partially chiseled out. He was trying to Shawshank it out of there. And in October of 1992, McNair was transferred to the North Dakota State Penitentiary in Bismarck, North Dakota. And it wasn't long before he hatched an escape plan. Accompanied by two other prisoners, the three managed to crawl through a ventilation duct. One of the escaped prisoners was apprehended shortly after their escape, while the other was caught in a few days. But McNair was still on the loose. He attempted to disguise himself by growing out his hair and dyeing it blonde. He spent a significant amount of time on the run, traveling around the United States in stolen cars. However, his freedom came to an end when he was arrested July 5, 1993. 
in Grand Island, Nebraska. Now, following his recapture, the North Dakota Department of Corrections considered McNair a problematic inmate. You think? As a result, they arranged for his transfer to Minnesota Correctional Facility, Oak Park Heights, to be exact, a maximum security prison. Now, after spending several years there, McNair realized that escaping again would be nearly impossible. So, he participated in a sit-down strike, which led to his transfer to the Federal Bureau of Prisons. Now at the FBP, McNair was lucky enough to get assigned to the maximum security United States Penitentiary, Florence High. McNair quickly realized that another escape from Florence High would be highly unlikely. So in an effort to be closer to his parents in Oklahoma, not to mention a lower security prison, he requested a transfer to the United States Penitentiary in Pollock, Louisiana. And on April 5th, 2006, McNair escaped in a way that could inspire movies. While serving his time, McNair had been assigned to work in a manufacturing area where he repaired worn-out mailbags. This job lasted for several months, during which he carefully planned his escape. McNair's method involved concealing himself inside a specially constructed escape pod buried beneath a stack of mailbags that were on a pallet. The contraption even included a breathing tube. Once the pallet containing the escape pod was wrapped in shrink wrap and taken to a warehouse outside the prison perimeter via forklift, McNair seized the opportunity. After the prison staff delivered the pallet and went for lunch, he used a shiv to free himself from the escape pod and made his way to freedom. Although federal investigators suspected that McNair had gotten help from fellow inmates, he always maintained that he acted alone. McNair's pallet was shipped out of the prison at around 9.45 a.m allowing him to break free around 11 a.m. Cell checks weren't until 4 p.m. that day, so he had five hours before the prison would discover his absence. McNair's plan was to head up to the nearby town of Alexandra, Louisiana, where he intended to steal supplies and maybe a car. But just a few short hours later, McNair was apprehended by police officer Carl Bordelon as he attempted to run away on a railroad track near Ball, Louisiana. The entire event was captured on the video camera mounted in Officer Bordelon's patrol car. At the time of his arrest, McNair obviously didn't have any identification and decided to go with the fake name of Robert Jones. However, when questioned again just five minutes later, McNair offered a different alias, Jimmy Jones. You know, the owner of that famous subplace. Or wait. Anyway, the officer failed to notice this small discrepancy. McNair chuckled and engaged in lighthearted banner with Bordelon, appearing composed and collected even as the officer was receiving a description of the fugitive that matched McNair's appearance, or was supposed to. But using his charm and no doubt his military background, McNair managed to convince Bordelon that he was simply out for a jog and visiting town to assist with a roofing project related to the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. Of course, just out doing charity. And 10 minutes after the officer approached him, McNair is back on his afternoon jog. Now one thing he had going for him was the poor quality outdated photo that was provided to law enforcement, to be fair. Furthermore, the prison authorities had informed the police that they were uncertain of McNair's escape in the first place. Like, huh? Like, have you not checked the bathrooms yet? Maybe he's getting a couple reps in in the yard? What's going on? How, do you, how are you not sure? But Officer Bordelon himself stated that he let McNair go because the physical description provided to the police bore no resemblance to how McNair actually looked. 
According to McNair's later account, he claimed that he didn't see the police cruiser due to trees blocking his view, and that's the only reason the officer even got the drop on him. He also admitted that if he couldn't convince Bordelon of his innocence, he had planned on just running away. McNair always denied the suggestion that he would have assaulted the police officer if confronted, stating that he had renounced violence since his initial arrest. Later describing his escape as a get-out-of-jail-free card, McNair expressed a mix of emotions after his encounter with Officer Bordelon, including relief, disbelief, and bewilderment. And on April 13, 2006, McNair was added to the U.S. Marshal's 15 Most Wanted list. He was specifically noted as being the first prisoner to have escaped from a federal prison since 1991. A couple of weeks later, in late April, McNair successfully entered British Columbia from Blaine, Washington. And on April 28, 2006, RCMP officers in Penticton, British Columbia, encountered McNair during an investigation into a stolen car that he was driving. The car was parked at a local beach. The officers approached McNair and asked him to step out of the car for questioning. He complied. But as soon as they got close, he dashed across a nearby field and managed to outrun the officers. The police confiscated the car, unaware of McNair's true identity, and it wasn't until two days later when one of the officers recognized him from America's Most Wanted. Upon further investigation of the car, authorities discovered a digital camera filled with self-portraits. He wasn't taking selfies. Uh, they assumed they were intended for the creation of fake IDs, which they would assume correct. Also, McNair's fingerprints were found in the car, so that officially confirmed his presence in Canada. Now, after eluding capture in British Columbia, McNair rode a bike to Kelowna. Since it took several days for the police to confirm his identity, he had a good head start. And in May of 2006, McNair stole a Subaru Outback from Vernon, British Columbia to drive to Blaine, Washington, returning to the United States. He then proceeded to travel across the United States and eventually re-entered Canada through Minnesota, where he intended to coast for a little while. McNair initially planned to purchase land in central British Columbia near Williston Lake, inspired by advertisements that he had seen. However, he changed his mind once he personally visited the area and witnessed the devastation caused by drought and a pine beetle infestation. Additionally, the fact that there was only one road in and out of the property made McNair a little uncomfortable. And in 2007, McNair embarked on a trip to eastern Canada. He drove through Quebec's highlands, where he indulged in mountain biking and spent significant time around Lac St. Jean. While McNair briefly considered crossing back into the United States into Vermont, he decided against it due to the fact that the heat hadn't quite died down in America just yet. So he drove through Halifax, Nova Scotia, and New Brunswick. McNair spent about two months in Fredericton, New Brunswick, before another run-in with law enforcement. Lucky for us, while on the run, McNair took it upon himself to document his experiences on the internet. Once he was finally caught, he commented that the media coverage surrounding him was, in large part, accurate. One story claiming Marshal Glenn Belgard of Louisiana made an online attempt to capture McNair, enlisting the help of a criminal profiler. But McNair didn't fall for it when the Louisiana police tried to contact him using the online persona of a woman who expressed interest in hiding him in her basement. Imagine that. McNair found it surprising how much attention the media gave to his case. Like, for instance, the 11-page article written by Mark Singer and published in The New Yorker on October 9th, 2006. 
While living as a fugitive, McNair monitored his own media coverage by owning multiple laptops and using USB sticks to store most of his information after one of his laptops got seized in an arrest. He also used a scanner, a digital camera, Photoshop, and a pet ID website to create a somewhat believable Alaska driver's license. He also managed to rig his video camera to his laptop so that he could cut his own hair. Then there was another laptop dedicated to monitoring a Louisiana-based website that closely followed all media coverage about McNair. As for sustaining himself financially, McNair resorted to stealing vehicles and cash from car dealerships. Apparently, he had a background as a car salesman, which came in handy, as he knew where to find cash and keys at these dealerships, all while cleverly evading security cameras. It's worth noting that he exclusively stole newly manufactured vehicles since they had window stickers that told him whether or not they were equipped with GPS tracking systems, which he would obviously avoid at all cost. McNair also made sure to drive inconspicuous white-colored vehicles that didn't draw too much attention, wanting to blend in everywhere he went. In one incident, McNair was staying in a motel near Chilliwack, British Columbia, when he witnessed a surprising scene returning from a brief errand. The motel was surrounded by police SWAT. Initially, he got the hell out of there, but later discovered through a local AM radio station that the police were responding to a hostage situation at the motel. Well, now he's intrigued. So McNair decided to return to the scene, armed with his Sony HD video camera and capture the standoff himself. The event unfolded for another 20 minutes before finally coming to a close. And on October 24, 2007, near Nash Creek, New Brunswick, an off-duty RCMP constable named Dan Mellison noticed a white cube van that looked expensive but had poorly tinted rear windows and an Ontario license plate. He suspected that the van may have been stolen or used for smuggling alcohol or cigarettes. That kind of seems like a stretch to me over window tint, but who am I? Mellinson made a note of the license plate and observed that the van was heading towards Campbellton, a nearby city. Although Mellinson didn't try to arrest the driver, he alerted other RCMP officers in Campbellton about the presence of the van. It turned out that McNair had actually tinted the windows himself in a park in London, Ontario. The following day, a constable who had only been on duty for six weeks spotted McNair's van in downtown Campbellton, and the chase was on. But after a slow, anticlimactic car chase that then turned into a slow, anticlimactic foot chase, two constables successfully arrested McNair. Uh, McNair himself described his capture as just simply bad luck, referring to it as just one of those days. McNair was transferred to the Atlantic Institute, a maximum security federal penitentiary located in Renau, New Brunswick, where he awaited extradition to the United States. Mounties later informed the media that McNair had been cooperative after his capture and had even joked with them. When one officer asked about the reward for his capture, McNair jokingly replied, $25,000. The officer responded that that wasn't very much, to which McNair quipped, that's because all the government money is tied up in the Osama bin Laden reward. <laughs> Later, McNair praised the Camp Belton RCMP as good men doing their job. McNair is currently serving his sentence at USP Florence High, which is located near Florence, Colorado. Before his transfer in 2022, he was held at the highly secure ADX Florence facility. While at the ADX, McNair described his surroundings as the most secure section of the most secure prison in the world. 
However, he chose not to provide specific details about his incarceration. McNair expressed gratitude for prisons, though, stating, quote, thank God for prisons. See, now don't you love a happy ending? Tune in next week for another strange and unexplained case. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure you subscribe, hit that notification bell, and leave a case suggestion in the comments. As always, you can find more content at patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. Links to everything I just mentioned below the description of this show. Until next time, which will be next Monday, be strange, just don't be strangers. See ya!